If you have your Bibles, let's open those up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter six. Uh, we are continuing on in our series on misconceptions about Christianity this morning, and today we're going to turn our attention towards money, one of people's favorite topics to talk about at church. Now, if that uh, idea makes your eyes widen a bit and your wa- wallet pucker up a little bit in your pocket or your purse, uh, you don't have to worry about anything. Nothing is changing for today. The, the plate is still in the back for you to give your offering as you feel led, as it always is. There's no special offering being taken up today for anything. So no one's going to ask you uh, to ask anything of you today except that you just pay attention to what the Bible has to say about money. Um, we are actually going to see what the Bible actually has to say about money because there is this misconception about Christianity where people declare that the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Uh, And that's not true. As I've mentioned before, there usually are kernels of truth, so we have something like that in Scripture. Uh, But that is not the way that we see it in Scripture. The idea that the Bible declares that money is the root of all evil comes from a misunderstanding or a misquoting of the passage that Laurel and Lars read uh, from 1 Timothy 6, 3-10. And we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail here in a bit. Uh, But before we do, I want to address the statement itself. And I want to point out the fundamental flaw that this misconception represents. All right, so the statement that money is the root of all evil declares that at the core of every evil thing that happens, money is the root of that. It's all about money. Money is the driver. Money is the motivating factor. Evil is all about money. That's what we're saying when we say that money is the root of all evil. So think about that. Is that true? Think about the evil things in the world. With everything that the Bible declares as evil, is money at the root of all of it? Right. To answer that, let's do what we often do. Let's take a look at just the Ten Commandments. Right, let's look at the Ten Commandments for a moment. The kids in our children's ministry, they're in the process of memorizing the Ten Commandments. So we would do well to study them and memorize those as well. Uh, if you're looking for them in your Bible, you'll find them in Exodus 20. And I don't intend for us to turn there today. That's not the point of this. Uh, but we're just using it as an example. But if you did want to memorize them, that's where you would spend time would be Exodus 20. Uh, But for my example this morning, I I listed a summed up version of the Ten Commandments on the back of your worship guide. Uh, So let's run through these real quick and let's see if indeed money is the root of all evil. Uh, Commandment number one, it says, have no other gods besides me, says the Lord. So is the worship of other little g gods rooted in money? Well, Sometimes it is, but it's not always the motivation for worshiping something other than the one true God. Commandment number two says, don't make an idol. Is money always at the root of making idols? No. Right, number three, do not misuse God's name. Is every single misuse of God's name motivi- motivated by money? No. Sometimes it is, but it's not always. Number four, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Right? Is the reason that people do not take time to rest and reflect on God each week, that time to be with God's people, is it always motivated by money? No, it's not. Honor your father and mother. Do ch- children dishonor their parents to get money? No. 
right? Do not murder. Is all murder motivated by money? No. Do not commit adultery. Do people always commit adultery to get money? No. Do not steal. Do people always steal for money? No. Do not lie. Always for money? No. Do not covet. Do people always covet because of money? No. All right, so here we have 10 no's in a row. So money cannot possibly be the root of all evil. It's not even the root of 10 bad things found in the Bible. So the statement alone is false. And when we look through the pages of Scripture, we find that the Bible is clear that something called sin is the root of all evil. All evil things in the world come from sin. Sin is anything that goes against the nature and character of our triune God who is the creator of all things. As the creator, God defines what is good in his creation. And anything that goes against that is evil. Right, so there are many things that motivate us to go against what God has called good. The love of money being one of those motivations, it's often one of those motivations. And that's why Paul warns against the love of money in our passage this morning. Now let's look at it again together, and then we'll discuss what God actually says about money in the Bible. So we're going to start in verse 3 to get context about what Paul was saying. Uh, but in, so in 1 Timothy 6, we're starting in verse 3, it says this, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but, as an un, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We'll look at the last verse again. What does Paul actually say? Paul doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. He says that love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Right? Words matter. Right? We can't just pull this out of its context. We can't just make it say whatever we want it to say. What Paul here is saying is that love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Of evil. That doesn't mean the same thing that money is the root of all evil. Right? What Paul actually said is that people will pursue after things that God has declared evil with the motivation of obtaining money because they love money. And that statement we can agree with, right? All right, so let's consider again the Ten Commandments from that perspective. I want to start at number five. Is money the root of all evil? No, but the love of money and the desire for it can be at the root of dishonoring our parents, right? As I was thinking about this, I thought about the parable of the prodigal son. Do you guys know that story? 
In Luke chapter 15, we see Jesus telling a parable about two sons, one of which, the younger, looks at his father and he says to him, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. And so essentially what he is saying, what the son says to the dad is, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. That's what he was talking about. And in this, we see this younger son, we see what he does with this stuff. He goes and lives out a lavish, sinful lifestyle out of the control of his father, right? And that desire to do that is so powerful that he has the audacity to ask his dad for an early inheritance, essentially acting as though his father had already died, though he was still alive. I mean, that's pretty dishonoring, right? So yeah, money can be at the root of dishonoring our parents, but it's not necessarily the reason we dishonor them. Do you think that money has ever been a motivating factor in committing murder? Yes. Yes, it has. Of course it has. Do you think money is a motivating factor in someone's willingness to steal? Yes, of course. Do you think the love of money motivates people to lie? Absolutely. Do you think the desire for money leads to coveting someone else's stuff? Certainly. Absolutely it does. And those don't even address the four commandments that focus on our relationship with God. That's just the five that deal with people. God says, have no other God besides me. Do you think that some people worship money like it's a God? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People often put their hope and their trust in money as though it were a deity. Right? They have their daily devotional, which is the Wall Street Journal each morning, cup, cup of coffee and the newspaper sitting there checking out you know, what their God would have them do that day. Right? They go to bed that evening looking at the stock report each evening before bed to see how their God is doing. Right? Do you think people make sacrifices in their lives as though money were a God? Yes. A workaholic husband comes to mind. A workaholic wife comes to mind. Right? They're willing to sacrifice their marriage in pursuit of money, of gain. Right? They're, if they have children, it's the same deal. They're willing to sacrifice that on the altar of, of stuff, prestige, power. Do you think people make idols out of their money? Of course. People might not actively take out their bank statement. They, they don't bow down and worship to it. But what do you think people are doing when they purchase a house that's $200 million? Is that not just an idol that they're bowing down to? Or here's a story that I heard recently where someone bought a yacht for $500 million. They had it specially made, and it's so big that they're going to have to pay the city in which it was built to tear down a bridge so that they can get the yacht out and then rebuild the bridge. What is that if not an idol? $500 million. That's just to build the boat. That's not including the cost to tear down the bridge and build it back. Right? This is an example of what society is worshiping. This is them bowing down to the idol of money. Money brings status in society. Money brings power. People absolutely make idols out of their money. Do you think people ever misuse God's name with money as motivation? Of course they do. Think about the health, wealth, and prosperity teachers of the world. They declare to the multitudes that God wants to bless you, and he will if you send me money. You send me your money, God will bless you. God wants 
God wants to bless you, and I'll tell you all about it in my book, Living Your Best Life Now. All you have to do is pay that because this is where you're promised God wants to give you your own home. God has a big dream for your life. All you have to do is read about it in this book, and God will bless you. Consider the faith healers of the world that will send you a rag that they've wiped their face with for the low, low price of $99.99. Send you some dirty rag that they've blown their nose in. You call, say, hey, put your hand on the screen. Call, donate us this money, and we'll heal you through the TV. As long, of course, as you have enough faith for it to work. It has nothing to do with it being a load of garbage, but if it doesn't work... That's on you because you don't have enough faith. The money, though, is non-refundable. People will absolutely misuse the name of God in order to succeed, in order to get something for themselves. Do people ever disregard the Sabbath with money as their motivation? Of course. When you worship money, there's no need to spend time thinking on and worshiping the true God of the universe. There's work to be done. There's money to be made. You don't need to take time out for your soul. You don't need to take time out for what? The only object of true worship that we have in this world, which is our God. Paul says that the love of money can motivate people to do some really awful things. Like participating in human trafficking or being involved in a drug cartel. The idea of making a quick buck can help us destroy lives multitude of lives but what we need to understand though and what sometimes we get twisted is that money itself is not inherently evil right it's not inherently better to be poor rather than being wealthy because money is morally neutral right it's neither good or bad it's just a thing by itself money cannot help anyone by itself, money cannot hurt anyone because it's just a thing. Right? So it's not evil. We know it's not evil because in the scriptures, we find many places where God himself gave people money as a way to bless them. Right? Many of the biblical patriarchs that we read about, they were blessed with a great deal of physical wealth. Genesis 3.2 says that Abram, who becomes Abraham, was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And this was a blessing from the Lord. Right? Jacob, also known as Israel, was an incredibly wealthy man. And a very convincing piece of evidence that money is not evil is that in 1 Kings 3, God blesses Solomon with incredible wealth, even though Solomon asks for wisdom instead of wealth. In that chapter, we see that Solomon was essentially given, he was given a blank check by God. Ask me whatever you will and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, I want to be wise. And when he requested wisdom, God said that that was good. And he also gave him wealth to go along with it. God despises evil. He refuses to be in its presence. And yet he blesses Solomon with unimaginable wealth. Money cannot be inherently evil. Right? In the New Testament, we see several wealthy, wealthy people who were instrumental in advancing the kingdom of God. Matthew, the tax collector who became one of Jesus' disciples, was a very wealthy man. He got his wealth from stealing from his own people. But he became one of Jesus' followers 
And he probably still had all of his wealth. You've got Joseph of Arimathea. We learn that he was a wealthy man. And at the end of Christ's life, after he died, he requested Christ's body and he gave him his new tomb. Well, really, he let him borrow it because Jesus gave it back in a few days later. But before that, he was willing to give up this burial plot that was probably set aside for his entire family. And he gave it to Jesus instead. We see in the book of Acts, there's a lady named Lydia. She, we're all, we don't know a whole lot about her. All we do know is that she was a seller of purple goods. Now, purple was apparently really hard to make in the times of the Bible. So anything that was purple was extremely expensive. That's the reason why they put that purple cloth over Jesus to make fun of him. Now, you're a king. Well, here's something that's worthy of a king, this purple garment. So it had been really expensive. She sold that. And so only the wealthiest people in the area would be able to buy what Lydia is selling. And we see in the book of Acts that she comes to faith through a message from Paul and she insists on being hospitable to Paul and his companions from that point out. So all of this is just to say that having money is not a bad thing. Where we begin to running into problems involving money is how we approach it in our heart. Now, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. When we love money, we're willing to do whatever is necessary to get it. Lie, cheat, steal, whatever it takes to get more money. And along with that, when we put our hope and trust in money, we're also going to find that there is never enough of it to make us feel secure. Right? Those who have devoted their life to making money will one day come to the conclusion that it makes a terrible little G-God. There's no hope in it. There's no security in it. You can never have enough money. Right? Rockefeller famously once said, he was an oil tycoon, he was once interviewed and asked how much money is enough, and his response was just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Right, someday, the people who love money and pursue after money, they're going to realize that it will never fulfill them. They will never have enough. It never makes them feel whole. This is what we saw happen to Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I said that wrong last week. I actually mentioned Solomon. I mentioned Ezekiel, which is not what, where we found that. Uh, found that out someone pointed it out to me as well so I meant Ecclesiastes last week in Ecclesiastes we see Solomon pursuing after meaning in everything under the sun literally that's what he says I pursued everything under the sun and the conclusion that he came to is that there was no value in it he says it was empty it was like chasing the wind and there, in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, Solomon says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. There's no hope to be found there. No security to be found there. And pursuing it leaves us with this empty feeling inside because it never fulfills us. And it also makes a terrible God because wealth doesn't last beyond our death. Right, Paul mentioned in 1 Timothy 6 that we came into the world with nothing and we can take nothing out. 
So no matter what we obtain in this life, no matter how much wealth we have, if you can afford to buy a $500 million boat and destroy a bridge and have it brought back, none of that's going with you. No matter how much or how little you have, essentially you're going to turn whatever you do have over to someone else. That's another thing that Solomon mentioned in Ecclesiastes is what if you work so hard for all this money and the person that you leave it to is a moron? You work so hard to bring that up. You use all your wisdom, all your work ethic. You give it to a lazy slob who burns through it before you know, three years is up after you die. It's not going with you. Only what we do for God and for his kingdom will have any value in eternity. It doesn't matter how many games we play, how many we win, how many we lose. It doesn't matter how many meals we cook. It doesn't matter how many jobs we have. It doesn't matter how much we have in our 401k. None of it matters at the end of our life. The only thing that's going to transfer into eternity is what we did for God and for his kingdom. On top of all that, we can't even guarantee that we'll be able to hold on to our money while we're still alive. Right? Jesus warns us about this in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. There, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this life, we have people who can take what we have. Right? In this life, our money can be destroyed by many things. It can be destroyed by a robber. It can be destroyed by someone on a computer. It can be destroyed by a weak economy. Or even just a simple computer glitch can make all of our money go away. I mean, most of us don't have it buried in the backyard. You're not sitting there with bars of gold under your bed. You have it in a bank. It can go away just like that. Any number of things can bring our net worth to zero really, really fast. And so why would we live for that? Why would we put our trust in that? Jesus says that we cannot serve two masters. We will be devoted to one and we will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Can't do it. Paul points out something similar at the end of our passage for this morning, 1 Timothy 6, right, where he says the love of money has driven people away from God. Their pursuit of money has pulled them away from God. He says that by craving money, some have wandered away from the faith. And in doing so, they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says they will have no end to temptation because they have fallen into the trap of greed. And eventually, this is going to lead to their ruin and their destruction. You know, for these people, this might not be true in this life. Right? In this life, they may not run into many griefs. They may not run into their ruin or their destruction. But if we do not have God as our central 
core, the thing that we pursue after with all that we have because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, if that is not our main love in this life, then we will lead to our ruin. We will lead to our destruction. It is guaranteed at the judgment seat of Christ. You can only serve one of two masters. Which will you serve? Jesus or anything else? And if it's anything else, one day your life will end in ruin. One day you will find your destruction. The only way to avoid this is by placing our hope and faith in Christ. That's the only way that we will find true and lasting joy. That's the only thing that we can be secure in is Christ. So if the love of money and the pursuit of money end so poorly for people, how then should a follower of Christ think about money? Money's not evil. It's just a thing. So how should we think about it? I've put a list of things on your worship guide. Follow along with me. Number one, be content with what you have. In our passage, Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And in chapter 13, verse 5 of Hebrews, the author there says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God said that he will never leave us or forsake us. Now, we might, may not have enough money. Right? There's no promise that the blessings of God will show up in this life in the form of financial success. There are many Christians all over the world who are suffering, they're struggling, they can't put food on the table. And so there's no promise of that. But here, the author is saying, be content, because even if you have nothing in this world materially, you still have God. And if you have God, you have more than enough. Philippians 4 11 through 13, there Paul, he says, I have learned to be content with whatever he has. He said, I've been wealthy and I've been broke. He said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. The second thing to think about is that we are to be generous with what God has given us. Proverbs 22 verse 9 says that those who are generous will be blessed because they share their food with the poor. Right? Ultimately, we need to be in this mindset that everything that God has given us needs to be held with open hands. And when we see need in the world, we need to be willing to let go of some of that so that we can help take care of other people. Now, as far as our country goes, I mean, we, we may be in this room and we say, well, I am poor, not compared to most of the world, not compared to like 95% of the world. Every single person in this room compared to 95% of the world would be considered wealthy in many other places. It's a mindset about what we have and what we're willing to do with what we have. Matthew 5.42 says, Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Be willing to look at everything that you have as something that God has given you to steward. It's not yours, it's His. And every now and then he's going to ask you to give it up, to give it to someone else. Are you willing to do that? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will reap generously. 
Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Right, we're, we're, if we are pursuing after God and doing the things that God has told us to do, we're, we're reaping treasure. It might not be in this life. It might be in heaven. But we are reaping treasure. And Paul here says, if you reap that sparingly, you're going to receive sparingly. And I've already told you guys, I have no concept of what treasure in heaven looks like. I can't fathom anything being better than being with Jesus. And I know I'm getting that. So everything else other than that is just icing on top of the cake. But I want more of it. Whatever it is, I want more. If that means more time with Jesus, that's what I want. And I have told you, I will race you to the next opportunity to serve. I will race you to the next opportunity to show honor to someone. Because I want that treasure in heaven. I mean... I have also, like Paul, known what it's like to have money. And I have also, like Paul, known what it's like to be completely and utterly broke. I know that it can go away just like that. It was a circumstance early on in my ministry where Kelly and I were making together about $92,000 a year. Pretty good money for us. About six months later, Kelly lost her job. She was making more than me, so we went down to $42,000 a year. Just like that. More than half, gone. And three months after that, I lost my job. So we went from making $92,000 a year within six months, seven months, to $0 a year. And the next year, guess how much money we made as a family of three? $24,000 a year. And guess what? We're still here. We made it. We had to rely on the Lord in a lot of those circumstances. We had to eat a lot of pride in that, in that circumstance. But we still gave. We were still generous with what we had. We trusted the Lord. God wants us to have a cheerful heart as we give. And, you know, I have literally heard some people say, well, I'm just not going to give because I'm not feeling very cheerful about it. Remember that whole thing I talked about, about taking stuff out of context? That's not what this means. Ugh. Right? There should be a compulsion in us to honor God with what he has given us. There should be a, a compulsion in us to be generous because God has been so generous with us. He gave us Christ. Right? You and I deserve hell, the end. And we have so much more than that offered to us in Christ. The cross is an amazing gift. And because we have that, it should change us into people who want to be generous with what we have. It should make us feel joy when we put money in the offering plate. It should make us feel joy when we give money to someone on the street. Or to that family member who is asking yet again for a little bit more. If we can do it, we should be glad that God has given us the ability to do it. Be generous with what God has given you. The third thing there is to guard your heart against the idolatry of money. Don't idolize money. As I said before, it makes a terrible God. In Matthew chapter 6, 
And Jesus tells us clearly that we will devote ourselves to whatever we deem as our treasure. I've told you before, I can know what you love by looking at your calendar and your checkbook. Because you're devoting your time and your treasure to those things. And many times I can see what you love because that's what you devote your talents to as well. When we idolize money, we devote our time and our treasure to getting more money. If money is a treasure for you, you will not be able to serve the Lord in the way that he has called us to serve him. If money is a treasure to you, then your family will not have the value in your life that God has called for it to be. If you value money, you will not be able to do any of the things that God has called you to do because you're too busy pursuing more money. God wants you to use your time, your talent, and your resources for his kingdom. So with that in mind, where do your thoughts land when you come to think about money? Do you, are you open-handed with it? Are you looking for opportunities to serve people with it? Do you use it as a, a crutch? Right? Something that I, that's the foundation that I need to stand on. Right? As long as I've got enough dollars on the other side of that comma, right? then I'm safe, then I'm secure. Then, once, I'm, once I've got enough there, then I'll be generous, I promise. You know, the most generous people in the world tend to be those who have the least amount of money. The more we have, the more we want. That's not always true, but it's often true. So what are your thoughts when you land on, when you think about money? Do you give to the church? Now, the, the, the scripture is clear that we are to give back to God. And I'm not here to, to rail on the law. I'm not here to say 10% or whatever it is, the tithe. I'm just saying a willingness to give back. Right? We went through Galatians and we hammered the idea of legalism to death. Right? I'm not going to give you a dollar amount that you are supposed to give back to God. But God tells us that's the only thing he says to test him with. Go read Malachi. It's the only place that God tells us to test him with anything. And he says, test him with our money. Trust him with it. And, you know, some people will argue with me about this. But you give out of your first fruit. Off the top. If you're going to give a tithe, that 10%, you give it off the top of what you make. You don't give that out of whatever you have left. You don't let Uncle Sam take his share of it and then go, I'll give you whatever's left after he's done. Uncle Sam's not first. Everything that we see in Scripture when it comes to offering a sacrifice is the best. The best of what you have, the best sheep, the best lamb, the best bird, the best of your herbs, the best. Not what you have left over. Not the stuff that where, you know, you eat and you feed your family and you feed your, maybe you feed your neighbor and then whatever is left, you scrape that off into God's plate. If you do happen to read the book of Malachi, go read about how God feels about getting leftovers. He says, I'm sick of it. Keep your nonsense. They were bringing 
blind animals, animals with only three legs, sick, diseased animals, and they were offering that up to God. He goes, you think I'm pleased with this? Nothing is better than this. Do you give to God? Do you give him your best? Do you give to the poor? Are you set up to do that? I can't do it. I can't do it, Chris. I just I don't have enough. I don't have enough in my life to do it. I'm willing to bet you got some places in your life. I can probably look at your budget and find a few things that we could cut out. Maybe not a lot, but I bet you there's a couple of Starbucks runs in there that we could probably remove. A couple of streaming services that we might be able to get rid of. Right? Do you really need to take four vacations a year? I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. Like we often think we have so little when in reality we have a whole lot more than what we are willing to admit to. That's all. If we take a good long look at our life, we will see that we are blessed in many, many ways and some of that is financially and we can give to those who are in need. Lastly, the last thing I want you to think about, are you generous with your money? Right? Are you looking for opportunities to serve someone by helping them out financially? Do you want to be a cheerful giver? Because if the answer is no, then I can assure you that no one's ever going to convince you to do it cheerfully. It will always feel like an obligation. But when we think about all that we've been given in Christ, when we think about everything that he has done for us and constantly is just handing out free of charge, with no expectation other than we will show him honor and glory in our life, then we will become open-handed with everything that he's given us. Right? Is money the root of all evil? No, it's not. Does it have the capability of twisting our heart and making us pursue after something other than God? Absolutely. The question is, what are you doing with it? Let's pray. Father, it is my desire to have a generous heart. It's my desire to honor you with everything that you've given me, time, talent, resources. And I pray that we would have that mindset in this church, that we would see everything that you have given us as a blessing and that we are very wealthy in ways that the rest of the world would long for. So I pray that we would have the right understanding of money, that if there are any here today who are pursuing after money in a way that makes it an idol for them, that they would see today that the truth, that there's nothing in it that is sustainable. And sure, it may make this life better for a while, but it's not going to do anything for us in eternity. Lord, I pray that we would be open-handed with the many gifts that you've given us, that we would be cheerful givers who feel no sense of obligation, just a longing to give the way that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that we would honor you with what we give back to you. You don't need the money, but our hearts need to be willing to, to do what you have called us to do in your word. So I pray that we would be willing to test you with our finances, that we would trust that if we do first what we're called to do, which is to give you our first fruits, that you will take care of the rest. Lord, help us to see money clearly. Help us to know what our heart is in it. It's your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.